Today is a, a very, a very special day to be in the house of the Lord. Um, I'm excited for today, and I know there's others who have been looking forward to it. Today we're going to be looking at two of the most important ordinances that the Lord gave us. Um, he personally gave us communion and baptism. Um, not only will we look at them, uh, what the Lord has told us about them and, and what God's Word tells us about them, but we will participate in them today. Uh, these things that are sitting in front of us here are not props. They're, they're not just here to be looked at. We will be using them today. and uh, So that's a glorious day. Um, it's an exciting day to observe uh, two wonderful memorials to the Lord. So the first one that we're going to look at this morning is communion. We're going to be, be packing a lot into today. And uh, so uh, I hope... Uh, Hope that you are ready uh, for what the Lord is going to do uh, today. Uh, first thing we're going to look at is communion. And so uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, 19 through 20. There's a couple of verses there that we're going to look at. It's on page 1121 of the Pew Bible, if you don't have your own. should be one right in front of you there. Now I've seen, uh, I've been in a lot of churches and I've seen uh, communion celebrated in, in, in different ways. Um, but one thing that they always, always have in common, pretty much, is a table. There's usually always a table involved. Now, they may come in, in different sizes and styles. They, some are simple, some are fancy, and, and some are, are decorative or plain. But there's almost always a table. You might wonder, what is the significance of the table that holds the elements, the bread and the, the cup? Why aren't they just set on the floor, or on a chair, or something like that? But it's a table. We use a table. We use a table because that is where we gather together. We, we share a meal together at a table. Um, a table is not absolutely necessary for communion, but it's good to remember that the first communion took place around a table, around a dinner table. That's why uh, communion is, is called both the, the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Table. So we're going to take a, a closer look at the Lord's Table uh, briefly this morning. What is significant about gathering around the Lord's Table for communion? Where did it come from? What is it? And, and, and why and, and how we do it? So where did it come from? Well, Jesus instituted uh, this uh, memorial at what's called the Last Supper. Most of us are familiar with what the Last Supper is. It's the last Passover meal that Jesus shared uh, with his disciples before his crucifixion. It, it took place after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. You can read accounts of it in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and, and Luke 22 here. Um, Jesus and his disciples were, going, were gathering together to observe this last this Passover together. And this was a meal that the Jews uh, were commanded by God to observe um, as an everlasting memorial to his deliverance of them from Egypt. God had instituted this. When he rescued them out of Egypt, he, he, he commanded them to observe this Passover as a memorial to what he had done to, to rescue them, to redeem them out of their bondage. And the meal was, was full of, of symbolism, of specific things that God had done for them. Um, 
It was solemn because it, it spoke to the bondage of, of, of the slavery that they were in, but also joyful as they remembered his, his rescuing of them. Um, we did a, a Christian Seder meal a little while back, and so if you came to that, you, we experienced a little bit of that. We did a Christian Seder, and so it was a little bit, a little bit different, but it had many of the same elements. If you remember, during the meal, there, there would be certain foods eaten. There was the unleavened bread, leaven. Leaven was a reminder of sin, and so they had to remove leaven. But it was also a reminder of, of their, their, the, the, the midnight run to escape. Grab your bread and go. It's time to go. Now is the moment. Uh, the bitter herbs, the, the horseradish, uh, to remind them the bitter tears of, of enslavement, uh, the lamb, the sacrifices that were given for their sins, the, the hyssop to remind them of, of the blood applied to the doorpost, uh, the moror, uh, that's probably everyone's favorite, that was that sweet apple cinnamon mixture, to uh, remind them of the sweetness of being set free. There were four cups that, of wine that were, were drunk at specific times throughout uh, the, the meal, and, and certain things were, were recited as, as those uh, cups were, were uh, drank, um, symbolizing the four-part redemption of God found in, in Exodus chapter 6, 6 through 7. Um, there he says, I will bring you out. I will rescue you from your bondage. I will redeem you. And I will take you and make you my people, and you and I will be your God. It was at the third cup, I will redeem you, that Jesus did and said something a bit unexpected. He took the wine and the bread, and instead of, of speaking of something from Exodus 12 or, or talking about the Israelites slaying a lamb in Egypt, he did something different. Luke twenty-two nineteen through 20. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, by saying these words, Jesus claimed something about himself that shifted uh, his, his followers um, on how his followers saw Passover. He claimed to be the Passover lamb. Now, they may have been slightly confused at that time. What is, what is he doing? That's, that's not in, I mean, the, the Jews were people of the law. They, they knew liturgy. They knew how ceremonies are to be performed. And so they would have expected Jesus to be saying something specific. But here, he goes completely different than what they expected. What is what is he talking about, his body broken? And, of course, Jesus had been, had been telling them what's, what's to come, his purpose. Of course, they, they didn't fully realize blood, new covenant. What, what is, what's going on? What is, what is Jesus doing? Now we know, now we know that Jesus indeed was the Passover lamb that was sacrificed. Amen? That, he, that we were redeemed 
by the precious, the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. That just as the bread was broken, Christ's body was broken. That through the new covenant, through his shed, shed blood, we are redeemed. His sacrifice on the cross brings believers out of the present wicked world. He rec- rescues us from the bondage of our sins. He redeems us to newness of life and fellowship with the Father. The, the Passover, the Passover was a, a prelude to what Jesus would come and do for all people. So we celebrate communion as an everlasting memorial to Christ and what he has done for us. It's a time and a place to remember Jesus. When Jesus sat around the table with his disciples and he he gave them the bread and the cup, twice he told them, do this in remembrance of me. Short and simple. When we take communion, we think of Jesus. He is our focus. He is our reason for being here. We remember him and what he has done for us. There are three things that we should think about as we remember Jesus here. We need to remember his sufferings. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 24, we'll uh, read that here in a minute. Open your Bibles. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 31. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1219. Look at the first two verses, verses 23 through 24, where the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what the for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now it's not just the bread. It's not just bread. It was the broken bread that represents Christ's suffering. He didn't just give them bread. He broke the bread. We need to remember his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where he he sweat drops of blood as he thought about what lay ahead for him. His unlawful arrest, his unfair trial, the false accusations that he faced. Judas's betrayal, Peter's denial, and his disciples' abandonment in his most most wicked or most dreadful time of need. The brutal treatment by the guards, the mocking, the blindfolding, the, the beating, the scourging, spitting in his face and the crown of thorns, the carrying of the cross the nailing of the hands and feet. Jesus broke bread, told his disciples, this is my body, which is for you. So we need to remember his sufferings. We need to remember his death on the cross. We read in the next verse that Jesus, after Jesus gave his disciples a bread, he he, he, he gave them the cup. He said, in the same way, he also took the cup after uh, supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The cup is a reminder of Jesus' death. It is a symbol of Jesus' blood that was poured out in death upon the cross. He was executed for a crime that he did not commit. He was killed by one of the most brutal and painful methods known to man. The Romans were experts knowing how to kill in the most cruel, cruel manner possible. He experienced nerve damage from the nails as they went through his hands and his feet. Sometimes we, we, we sanitize this so much. But can you imagine the nerve damage as those, as those nails pierced his hands and his feet? Broken bones. The hunger. The thirst that he felt. The exhaustion after, after, after being beaten. Whipped. Dragged through town. Humiliated. And, and forced to carry his very own cross. And then hung upon that cross where he was mocked and ridiculed. Though his, and then his slow suffocation on the cross. The cup is a reminder of all of this. We take the cup. We should remember Jesus' death upon the cross. We need to remember why he did it. For our sins. Because, because there's a third thing we should remember. We should remember why he suffered. Why he died. He did it for us. He did it for our sins. Sometimes we like to say for the sins of the world. And it is. It's for the sins of the world. But sometimes that, that kind of puts it out there. But we need to make it personal. Did it for my sins. My sin, if I were the only sinner on earth, Jesus would have come and suffered and bled and died on that cross to redeem me from my sin and from your sin, your very sin, your personal sin. That's why he did it. Matthew records Jesus' words this way as he gave his disciples the cup. Matthew 26, 28. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's why he shed his blood. Offer forgiveness for sins. Jesus did not go unwillingly to the cross. He wasn't dragged. He did not die a martyr's death. He did not just die a martyr's death. He went to the cross for a purpose. He went there to die in our place so that our sins might be forgiven. And that is why we, we pause before we take communion to examine ourselves, to confess our sin before the Lord. Are we doing it in an unworthy manner? Stop. Consider, what are you doing when you partake in communion, are you just doing it because this is something that we do in the church? Or are you truly reflecting on what Christ did? That his body was broken for you. That his blood was shed to give you forgiveness. Do you think about that? 
We need to examine ourselves. We need to remember why Jesus suffered and died so that we might be forgiven. And that leads to our second point. The Lord's table is not only a place to remember Jesus. It's also a place to celebrate God's forgiveness and grace. We do this in remembrance. If, if communion was only about remembering Jesus' suffering and death, well, then that would make communion a pretty depressing thing, wouldn't it? There is a solemn side to communion. We need to remember what Jesus has done, what it cost him. But communion should also be a time of celebration. We were separated from God because of our sins. But Christ died so that we could be forgiven. Praise the Lord, amen? You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were bound for eternity in hell. But God, through his grace and his mercy, sent his son Jesus as a substitution for you and for me. He didn't have to. We were guilty. We deserved the punishment. God's grace and mercy, he sent his son the sacrificial atonement to give you forgiveness from your sins and to restore that relationship. Praise the Lord for what he has done. We celebrate that as we partake in communion. So thank the God, thank God the Father for sending Christ. Thank God the Son for laying down his life. Thank God, the Holy Spirit, for coming into your life and cleansing you of your sins. Thank God for the forgiveness of sins. Amen? That's why we partake in communion, to remember and to celebrate that great truth. Not only that, but marvel at God's gracious invitation to come to the table. God did not have to invite you, but he did. He has graciously drawn you to himself. And he has given you a seat at the table. A seat that you don't deserve, that I don't deserve. But his grace, he gave me a spot at this table. He allows me to partake. Salvation is not by works, not because of anything righteous that we have done. Not because we deserve it simply by his goodness and grace. So the Lord's table is a place of remembrance. Christ's suffering is death, suffering for our sins. But it's also a place of celebration, a place to celebrate God's forgiveness and grace that he has given us. And so this morning we are going to partake and communion, as we remember, as we celebrate, we have open communion here at Faith Chapel. All are welcome to come to the table. The only, re only requirements are that you come to faith in Christ, that you are a Christian, and that you come to the table through faith in Christ, and that you search yourself to make sure that you are in right standing before the Lord, that you have no unconfessed sin in your life. Paul gave instructions here in the rest of, of 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven 27 through 31. 
And sometimes we, we kind of pass over it, but they're very important. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. And some have died. This is how strongly God thinks of this. Don't come to the table unprepared. Don't come in an unworthy manner. You must examine yourself. Why are you partaking in communion? Is it a ritual? Is it just something that you do periodically? See, that's, that's why we here at Faith Capital, we don't do it every month. Some churches, every month. The first Sunday of the month, they do communion. The last Sunday of the month. It, they, it's, it's, and that's fine if they, if they want to do that. But we do it as the, as the Spirit leads. Because we don't do it as a ceremony. We do it as an act of remembrance and celebration. You need to discern. You need to examine yourself. Why are you partaking? You have unconfessed sin in your life. Is there something separating you from, from the Father? Is there some sin that you're harboring against a brother or a sister? He tells us, if, you, if you're there presenting your offering and you remember that you have a sin, you have something to leave your offering to go make it right with your brother and sister then come back it's the same thing here there is something in your life that's unconfessed that that you're not in it, it, you're not in right standing with the lord or, or a brother or a sister either make it right right now or just let the the plate pass just let it go Go make it right. Come back later and partake when you're ready, when you're right. And don't worry. Don't worry if, if somebody is looking. Don't worry whether somebody will judge you. Nobody will judge you. And even if they did, would you rather be judged by man, by God? So, so men, if you will come forward, as we pass, as they pass the elements, take a moment to examine yourselves. If things are not right, let it pass. So again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So, let's pray for the bread. Lord Jesus, we come before you, and we remember your body, which was broken for us. We remember your suffering, all that you had to endure on our behalf, not just on the cross, but everything leading up to the cross, the beatings, the humiliation, the denial, the abandonment, so much suffering that you had to endure to pay for our sin. So, Lord Jesus, we remember your broken body, which was given for us. We celebrate the forgiveness that is offered because of what you have done on our behalf. We thank you for this, for your glory. Amen. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the meal, he offered the cup, 
we will pray for the cup. Lord Jesus, we come before you again. And we thank you for your shed blood. We thank you that you came willingly. That you offered your life as a sacrifice. As an atonement for us. To wash us of our sins and to to provide our redemption, to restore our relationship with the Father. So, Lord Jesus, we remember the brutal death that you endured, your death on the cross. Yet we also celebrate the gracious gift of forgiveness that was offered through your broken body, your shed blood. Pray that you would receive the glory that you deserve for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup. He said, Take, drink this cup in remembrance of me, my shed blood, which is a new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. It says, after supper, they sang a hymn and went out. We won't do that quite yet. Because now we're going to observe baptism. Glorious day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. You're going to let the children up? What an amazing day that we have. Baptism. What is baptism? Well, baptism is an exciting step of obedience for those 
who are baptized. And I'm excited to see Madeline be baptized today. She takes that step. But before we do, let's take a moment to talk about the what, the, the why, and the how of baptism. What is baptism? Baptism is, is the second ordinance that the, the church observes that was given to us directly by Jesus. We see this in, in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 19. Part of the Great Commission. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Not only did Jesus institute the ceremony of baptism at the end of his life on earth, but he set an example of it by doing it himself as at the beginning of his start of ministry when he um, participated in John's baptism, which is a, a different kind of baptism. When we get baptized, we are obediently following in Jesus' footsteps. So let me read this statement, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Baptism is an ordinance given by the Lord Jesus Christ by which those who have repented and come to faith symbolically show their union with Christ in his death and resurrection by immersion in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a sign of belonging to the people of God, the church, and a public identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism expresses union with Christ in his death and resurrection. The clearest teaching of this is in Romans 6. Romans 6, 3 through 4. We'll get there. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus Christ suffered. He died on the cross for our sins and rose again. We just participated in communion, which commemorates that. Baptism is a sign of our unity with Christ, identifying with Him in His death and resurrection. The sign is important, but what, what it points to is more important. Baptism is an external ceremony, a symbol that points to a spiritual reality. It's a dramatization of what happens when you are born again. In baptism, we identify with what Christ did for us. But more than that, we, we also identify with what Christ has done in us. The Bible says that he not only died for us, but we have died with him. Galatians 2.20 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And we've been raised with him, Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Baptism speaks about what God did for, for and in you when he saved you. He, we physically enact a reality that is in our hearts when we are united with Christ. When we come to Christ by faith, we also die to our sinful selves. And we're raised to newness of life as he transforms us from the inside. We show this as, we're, as we also die, as we go under the water, and as we're raised up into that new life that he is at work in us. We practice believer's baptism here, which means baptizing those who are able to make a conscious confession of faith. Peter said in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. He, that's what he spoke to those that there at the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized. Baptism are for those who have repented of sins and have come to faith in Christ. It's not designed to make you more holy, to make you more secure, or, or to save you. It can't save you. Only faith in Christ can save you. Baptism produces nothing more than the blessing of obedience. It's an act of obedience symbolizing the, the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and, and risen Savior. And the believer's death to their sin. It's the burial of the old life and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ. We do it by immersion. The word for baptize in Greek is baptizo, which means to dip, to plunge, to submerge, to immerse. So we baptize by immersion, all the way under the water. This is tied uh, to its meaning to, to publicly identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Supported by many examples in Scripture, Acts 8.36, uh, Philip and, and the eunuch. Philip and the eunuch both went down into the water, and then they came up out of the water. John 3.23, John the Baptist, John the Bapti Baptist baptized at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. He needed a lot of water to baptize people. Of course, Mark 1.9, the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan. The Jordan is a river. Scripture says in the Jordan. Not at, not by, not near, in, in the Jordan. Early Christians practiced immersion. The method of baptism is important because it is wrapped up in the meaning of baptism. The method and, and the meaning are, uh, are, are interwoven. You cannot change the method without destroying the meaning. So we baptize by immersion. Madeline will be fully immersed shortly. So why do we do it? Why, why should someone be baptized? Well, first of all, let me tell you why you shouldn't be. Don't get baptized be, just because someone told you to or because someone else is. It's not something that you do for others. It's it's a public profession, but it's a, a personal decision. It's a symbol of your inward relationship with God, with Christ. Don't get baptized to get right with God. Again, it's a symbol of your inward relationship with Jesus. 
being baptized will automatically reset that relationship. It's not a magical experience that will just fix it. Don't get baptized for a fresh start. One of, one of the wonderful things about God is He's more concerned with our future than our past. doesn't matter how far we stray, if we turn to Him, He is there with open arms. So don't think that you need to perform baptism to get a fresh start. Don't get baptized for an emotional high. Baptism is an, an incredible experience. Family will come and they're going to cheer, right? Amen. It's not about the experience, though. Although it will be emotional, it's about obedience. Because once the emotions fade, it must be based upon your relationship with Christ. Why should you get baptized? First, it's a command of Christ. read you the passage in Matthew. He says, go, make disciples, baptize them. Jesus wants disciples who are baptized. That's his command for us. So if you are his disciple, you should be baptized. It's a symbol of your union with Christ. We talked about that, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We're physically reenacting what Christ has already done on our behalf. It's an act of obedience that brings joy and, and fruitfulness. Many Christians are lacking joy because they haven't been obedient to him. Acts 8.39, that Ethiopian eunuch, after Philip baptized him, he went on his way rejoicing is what Scripture says. He was baptized and he was filled with joy. Many Christians plead with God for, to help them understand the Bible or so many other things. Have you already been obedient with what he has already told you? He tells us he wants us to be baptized. Why would, you give, why would he give you more if, if you haven't been obedient to two of these basic commands? The Lord's table and baptism. Why would he give you more if you won't even observe those? Well, baptism isn't required for salvation. It is for obedience. And then lastly, it's a public witness and testimony. It, de it demonstrates someone's uh, seriousness of someone's faith. To stand before everyone and say, here, I believe this. I identify with Christ. It reveals to those that are watching that you're not ashamed of the gospel and what God has done in your life. When we realize the meaning of baptism, then the reason becomes clear. If we have been united with Christ, our old life is put in the grave. We're raised to newness of life in Christ. And baptism is how one goes public with that confession of, I'm done with my old life. I'm done with my old life. I'm with him now. I'm his. I belong to him. I belong with these. I'm part of the family of God. That famous hymn that we love to sing, I have decided follow Jesus. There's no turning back. No turning back. Watch me. I identify with Christ. Now that's the what, the what, the why, now the how. How are we baptized? We baptize by immersion. I already talked about that. But we do it by immersing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Not in the names of, because that would, that would make us believe something else. We don't believe in one God who, who acts in three different ways. That's modalism. We believe in a triune God. That means that it's not just by immersing in baptism. There's more to it than that. There must be a holy appeal to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit to be present in this, to make it real and true to what it says about their role, their work in our redemption. Each of the Godhead are to be recognized, to be invited in, and to be honored as we partake in baptism. There is no salvation without the Father. There is no salvation without the Son. And there is no salvation without the Holy Spirit. When we call on their name, we depend upon them and we honor them. We say that it's because of them and by them and and for them. We recognize each of their work in our salvation. The Father, death. We lay down as we're laid under the water, as we die as Christ died. We're reminded of the wages of sin is death. That's tied to God's holiness, His purity, His justice. Sinners must die. They must die. God is holy. He is pure. and He is just. He cannot tolerate sin. He is just. Sinners must be punished. For him not to punish sin would make him not just. We're under the water. He washes us of that sin. By his grace, he allowed, he accepted a substitution to pay the debt that was owed. He didn't have to, but by his grace, he allowed Jesus to serve the sentence. As we're raised... As we come out of the water, we are released from death to life. We're granted a pardon. Released from the death death penalty to a second chance of life. And the son Jesus, of course we know his role, his death is what bought our pardon. He lived and he died the life that we should have. We were washed by his blood. Though our sins were scarlet, they were washed white as snow because of His shed blood. We were resurrected to not just a a new life, but to eternal life through Jesus the Son. The Holy Spirit, we were dead in our sin, unable to even recognize how lost we were. The Holy Spirit opened our hearts and our minds to understand, to believe, Without the Holy Spirit's work in in the heart of a person, we would never repent. We would never come to faith. We would continue in our sin, convinced that we were okay. We're washed as the Spirit reveals the truth of God's Word that renews our minds. Raised to new life as the Spirit enables us to live that new life here today. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all are necessary 
for our salvation. Holy Spirit enables us to understand, change, become that new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The Holy Spirit is the one that indwells us, that enables us to do that. So each one, each one must be invited in. Each one must be recognized, and each one must be honored. There is no salvation without the Father, without the Son, without the Holy Spirit. And so we baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do that now. Amen? Madeline, are you ready? Go ahead and come on up. This is an exciting day. Exciting day. As Madeline takes this step of obedience to her Lord and Savior, as she publicly identifies with her Lord Jesus Christ, she makes this, this public proclamation. I'm with him. I'm one of his. I belong. I'm a member of the family of God. Amen? It's a joyous day as we celebrate. Madeline?